Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Saddest Night Out, episode number 311. It's Monday, 17th of October, and I'm a little bit late in recording this one because I'm going to talk about the time that I saw the 1975. I saw them Thursday night, which was three days ago, carry the one. And I've been building up a bit in my head about talking about the show, and that is what has made me put off recording it a little bit. But we're just going to go with it, stream of consciousness, the way I normally do these things, and try and just retell the evening as it happened. So first of all, there was the invite to the show in the first place. I did not have any intention of going to the show. So the 1975 released their new album on Friday. It's called Being Funny in a Foreign Language. To celebrate that release, they decided to play a one-off show at Prism in Kingston with Banquet Banquet Records, which is like a record store in Kingston. Now, this isn't the first time the 1975 have done this. By the way, if you hear any creaking or anything in the background, it's my desk and or my charging cable rubbing against the desk. Hope it's not too distracting. So I think this is the fourth time the 1975 have played this venue. They played it whilst on tour in 2013. And then they played an album release show there for their debut album again in 2013. I think then it was an afternoon show. They didn't play it for the release of their second album. They did for their third, and I think for their third album they did two shows again. And that's the one where Matty, the singer, cried while performing the song Robbers, which is a bit of a a landmark song for them. And now they've done it again for this show. I had no intention of going. I didn't think I'd have a... My invites came from a friend who, out of the blue, told me they'd queued up for tickets and I was the only other like biggest fan they knew and asked if I'd go with them. With an invitation like that, how could you say no? I was incredibly flattered and surprised and flummoxed and all the other words by the invite and very, very happy to get to see the 1975 for the first time. <laughs> In incredibly unpredictable circumstances. Now, I think originally there was only going to be one show, but due to popular demand, they decided to do two shows, which made the evening kind of interesting. So upon our arrival, yes, I took a very, very, very long train ride on the district line all the way from east to west, met up with my friend Rob, we drove down together. We got there at the point when you could just walk right in, but from what I understand, there were two shows on Thursday night. The first show, doors opened at 6.30. The show started at 7.30. The second show, doors opened at 8.30. The show started at 9.30. The the queues for both shows happened at the same time. So upon our arrival, the queue for our show wasn't there. Everyone had already been let in. But the queue for the later show was still outside. I think whenever this band does anything, they have the type of fan base where some of them are going to queue up from about nine in the morning, if not overnight. In fact, I think I'm still about two-thirds of the way through the book Fangirls by Hannah Rose Owens. I think that's her name. I'm all over the place. But in it, the topic of queuing up overnight for shows gets brought up. And I think for some people, that's just... It's not a show unless you've queued up overnight. Come rain or shine... It adds to the intensity and the excitement of the whole thing. It's almost like a pilgrimage of some sort. So I think the queues for the two shows happen at the same time. One queue went down the left of the building, one went to the right. One queue got let in for the early show, and while we were let in, the other queue got moved 
to the other side of the building. So when we came out, there was just the one queue. So there being two shows and us going for the early show meant there was an inherent time limit on the first show because we all had to get out in time for the next crowd to get in for the second show. Our show was about an hour. And the second show, which you can actually watch online, if you search for the 1975 Banquet Records or Prism, Prism with a Y and a Z, you can see the whole thing. Someone's filmed the whole thing from the front row. It looks pretty cool. But their, sh- their show slash set list, their set list was a bit longer, had a few more songs, because they didn't have to get out in time for the next show. But that didn't diminish the show that we saw. So upon arrival, we walked right in because we didn't get there early enough to queue up, which is fine by me. Went in, places packed. We considered trying to get down to the floor in front of the stage, but it looked like you would. it was a type of pact where you could not lift your arms above your head if you went down there. So we decided to go, as you face the stage, to the left-hand side. It's the stage, there's floor in front of it, and then there's two like balcony-ish type things, one to the left, one to the right, raised sections, basically. And then there's a really high raised section. So there's a floor in front of the stage, then there's a level up above that, still in front of the stage, where the bar is. And then there's a level above the bar, which I guess is the real balcony. And then there's a bit a lower balcony to the left and to the right of the stage. We were, as you face the stage, to the left behind maybe two rows of people already. But we had a pretty good view. We were comfortable. That was fine by me. <sighs> and in fact, honestly, I think the highlight of the whole evening was the journey there and back. Just the giddy excitement I was sharing with Rob, the guy who got me the ticket. And it's been a while since I've talked to someone about something I'm interested in in that way. And giddy really is the word for it. Just the excitement, the frothing of, oh my goodness, I can't believe this thing's going to happen. And have you seen this? Oh, what do you, what do you think about that? And have you listened to this? That was really, really fun. As for the show, I one of the overriding sentiments I had, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, is that I didn't take any videos or pictures. Instead, I did what I have been prone to do in the past, which is to record audio from the night. In the past, I've recorded audio from shows I've been to and then included that audio in the podcast episode. Whether it's interviewing someone, so that's, you know, audio explicitly for the episode, or recording bits between songs just to give you a taste of the atmosphere of the room on the night. More so than actually recording a song, but just the air in between the songs. And I did a bit of that for this show, and I was kicking myself I didn't record the first song because the first song was a live debut. So the album came out midnight Friday morning. It always tends to trip me up that midnight Friday is Friday morning, not Friday night. It's the morning before the Friday. So this show is happening Thursday evening. Technically in the UK, the album hadn't come out yet. So they played a few songs off the album that technically no one should have heard yet. But the way things work these days... The album came out midnight around the world, which meant by the time of the show, it had already come out on Spotify in New Zealand and Australia and Japan and so on. So if you, uh, if you knew your way around a VPN, you probably could hear the album before the show at Kingston. But they started the show with a song called Looking for Somebody to Love. So at the time of the performance, it's just, oh, I guess that's a new song. Oh, it sounds really cool. But now... For some people who have already heard the album, you already know what song I'm talking about. 
and I didn't record the start of the show. I don't know. I think I had a split second thought of, no, no, let me just keep this for me and just enjoy the moment. But now what I keep thinking is, man, I should have recorded that and maybe included it in this episode. I don't know. I did record some other bits. They started with that new song, Looking for Somebody to Love, which is a very cool song. The next song was Two Time, Two Time, Two Time, which is a song I'm not particularly fond of. And this was another overriding feeling about the show. This band is one I've fixated on for quite a while. I can't say with my whole heart that I just... I'm not... A, I don't know, I don't love them, love them. I quite enjoy critiquing them. There's things that they do. They don't... I don't necessarily think they're doing things wrong. It's just I enjoy thinking about how I would do things differently. And I think that's part of the appeal of this band. One is it's very... More so than any other band I can think of, you can really track their progress. There's something about what they do where they are aware that they are a band. It's a bit like, I don't know if anyone listening to this has played NBA, one of the NBA games, or I think FIFA, definitely Tony Hawk's, those sports games where there's a storyline element where you start off as a nobody and you rise through the ranks. There's an element of that to this band, which is really enjoying in enjoyable to watch but it also means i can kind of see the cracks or see the strings and the puppet or i don't know some sort of metaphor around that area but i'm they're not the type of entity where for me they can do no wrong everything about them is oh my god it was amazing (laughs) the show itself was a little bit ramshackle it was a bit rough around the edges but i think that was the intention because First of all, it was only meant to be one show. They kind of ad hoc made it two shows. Matty came out and he said pretty early on, it's just us and some lights. Don't take it too seriously. We've got a set list, but I'm probably going to change it up. It was a bit fly by the seat of your pants, which was exciting. The room was just happy to be in the room with the band and with each other, whatever they played. So the second song being Two Time, Two Time... It's weird. I want to say already the shine kind of was lost on the night because I thought, oh, they played this song. I don't really like this song. But the night was more than that. (laughs) I don't know how to find the words to really explain it without, I don't know how it sounds. It's almost, it was almost more like an academic study of a band or something like that, where you don't get put off and dismayed because there's something happened that you didn't like. You just kind of observe and take the whole thing in. Anyway, let me just get back to what the set list was. So they started with Looking for Somebody to Love. Then the next song was Two Time, Two Time. After that, they played Chocolate, which is a type of song that I th- I think it mon- might be one of the only songs that has been played at every 1975 song, every 1975 show. It was their big breakthrough single. And it got the type of response you expect. I don't mind that song too much. At this point, I thought... I let go of any notion of, I don't know, expecting a particular set list of particular songs and thinking the whole show would live or die by which songs they played. I was just enjoying the experience. I kind of reminded myself, hey, like a week ago, I didn't think I'd even be in this room. So let's just enjoy being in the room and just take it all in. They played Chocolate. After that, they played If You're Too Shy, Let Me Know. Now, Matty said, it's just them and some lights. This this is a band that can play a 10,000 capacity venue. And I still don't remember quite what the size of Prism is. 
I'm going to very subtly search for it while I talk to you. But that was part of the novelty of the whole evening as well. Just the fact that we're all watching a band that we all know could play a much bigger room. So again, there was that gratitude to just be in the room, regardless of what got played or anything. Prism, 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 prism. How many... Then how many people can play in prison? in prison this is the scintillating sound of me clicking I really try and find this answer gosh darn it Just under 2,000 people can fit. Wow, just under 2,000 people. That did not feel like the case when I was in there. But okay, fair enough. So, they did chocolate. Then they did if you're too shy, let me know. It was a pared down visual experience. But sonically, it very well could have been the full shebang. It sounded amazing. That's been a gripe, very lowercase g gripe for me with this band. Because when you see a band on stage, there's that stereotypical, perhaps old-fashioned notion that what you hear is what you see. You see four people in the band, you want to hear those four people making music. And this is me very much being a little bit of a rockist, a little bit of an old-fashioned stick in the mud. The idea that if it's a four-person band, I expect to see and hear a four-person band. But it's more common now, the bigger you get as a band, the more like clandestine members you get. So you see the four people, plus two, three, four others that fill out the sound and fill up the stage. And, and even in the early days of the night, in the early days of the band, you would expect to hear, if it was a four-piece band, you expect to just hear the band. Like, say, The Strokes, Block Party, uh, Arctic Monkeys. You'd hear the band. The 1975, even from the early days, they'd play with a backing track, which could be somewhat frowned upon, like, oh, it's not real music, not a real band, blah, blah, blah. They didn't seem to care. They cared more about the experience than if you're only literally hearing the guitars or whatever. So it's the four of them, plus the sax player, keyboard player, and two other members. I think one is a percussionist, one is another synth player, but they all just play whatever instruments need to be played to fill out the sound. So it sounded like an arena show in a much smaller venue. It sounded fantastic. They did, if you're too shy, let me know. After that, they did part of the band. This was the first time they played this song live. It was the first single from this new album. And <laughs> I think it was the funniest moment for me. Because in the last verse of the song, Matty decided to crowd surf. And I say that in air quotes. Because by crowd surf, in his mind, I imagine he wanted to lie down in the crowd and have them carry him around that floor area in front of the stage. What actually happened is he kind of got in front of the front row, lay down on his back on the front row and was basically just held up by the security while the people at the front row were clearly ill-equipped to carry him, let alone pass him along to other people in the crowd. The thing about the 1975 is that they tend to attract a somewhat younger audience. And I get the impression some of that younger audience was making up the front row. And they did not strike me as the kind of folks who could handle helping someone crowd surf let alone a grown man who looked like he was a bit inebriated by that point so i 
couldn't help but laugh because it looked silly. I couldn't help but feel concerned for the fans who were just stuck underneath him for a good minute or two while he sang the last verse. I think in the footage of the second show from the night, you can see, you get a much closer view than what I had. And you can see him lie down on top of the crowd and the crowd visibly sink under his weight. And he does not move from that spot for the rest of the song until the end when security pulls him back up and he just makes sure everyone's okay. Ah, remember that there's that meme of like Instagram versus reality? It was something like that. It was funny. But again, it's that thing of seeing the cracks and just kind of appreciating the whole night and just being there for the experience of it all. After that, they did It's Not Living If It's Not With You, a big song from their third album. It kind of, it's neither here nor there at this point, but I'm not the biggest fan of that song. I respect that it's one of their bigger hits. Doesn't really do it for me, but at this point, I'm just enjoying the the atmosphere, the, the environment. I'm honestly watching the audience more than I'm watching the band. Because it, I'm just so fascinated by the popularity of this band and who it is that has taken them to heart. And that's really what it is. There's some artists who are really popular, but you get the impression it's one or two songs that really got huge. Garnered most of the audience, but it's not a diehard audience. It's an audience that knows, most of the audience knows those big singles, likely doesn't know the album tracks, doesn't know the artists deeply. Whereas with the 1975, it feels like it's the other way around. Most of the people there pride themselves on knowing the deeper cuts and knowing the history or the lore or the story of the band. That was who I was in the room with. And this is the type of thinking and the type of rabbit holes I only really go down by myself. I already mentioned how exciting the, the car journey there felt because I could talk to someone else about all those rabbit holes and all the things we were excited about. Now I was in a room full of such people. So that's what fascinated me more, hence why I found that attempt at crowd surfing so funny. They did It's Not Living If It's Not With You. Then they did Roadkill, which was another live debut. This is a song from their fourth album. It, it doesn't really matter at this point, but I'm not a huge fan of that song either. But it was interesting to see it played live and the excitement from the crowd. I think everyone recognised, oh, wait, this is a first. We're the first ones to see this being performed. After that, they played... Happiness, which is from the new album. Robbers, which is their classic, which, of course, like Chocolate, got the real big response you'd expect. I'm in Love With You, another single from the new album. Paris, another classic. Now, Paris, at this point in the show, Matty approached someone in the front row and said, I like this guy. I think I mentioned this in the last episode. This is the fact, he said, this guy's been to a bunch of our shows. I thought it was Andy Luckers, someone who's put up loads of videos of the 1975 live on YouTube. It wasn't. Thanks to Jillian. Hello again, Jillian. I now know that it was actually... Bom, 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 bom. Uh, David Abrams, at David B-F-I-A-F-L on Twitter, being funny in a foreign language. He was the person who was at the front row who got to talk to Matty. And Matty said, I like this guy. He's been to tons of our shows. That is a slight testament to that relationship, that bond, that that thing that the fans pride themselves on, that they, it's, there's something deeper between the audience and this band. And that was a slight testament to that. that. This is one of those fans who can... I wouldn't be surprised if it was way up there in the double digits how many times this fan has seen the band for the band themselves to recognise him and say, hey, I know this guy's been to a bunch of our shows. Matty asked him, what song do you want to hear? And Matty said, we can't do Undo, which is one of the songs from their earliest EPs. 
the fan eventually chose Paris. I'm guessing Matty whispered in his ear and said, look, there's like four songs you can choose from that we are able to do. Which one would you like to hear? Chose Paris. And something else that crossed my mind after the show is one of those things where I'm like, you know, it would have been funny to have done in the show. Or at least if I was that fan and I got to choose a song, I would have chosen either Settle Down from the debut album because I love that song. And it's one of those songs that they seem to have truly retired after their the tour for their debut either that song or tonight i wish i was your boy from the fourth album notes which they have played at their festival sets that would have been cool to see as well because i really enjoyed that song but we got paris which is a, a fan favorite there was no wrong answer really so it's a 1975 show any song you chose would have gone down well so paris was was great and then after Paris, they played somebody else. And this was the only song where I kind of lost myself a little bit because that, that that song just goes so hard. It's one of the earliest songs that really attracted me to this band. And so I was stood, Rob and I were stood, as you face the stage to the left, there's a railing between that balcony and the crowd below. And there's a little bit of a bench just up against that railing. And there was a row of people kind of sitting and leaning against that balcony railing and watching the band and then we were stood up against the bench love uh somebody else is the song where i climbed up on that bench and kind of got a little carried away which i think i was want to do it was if ever i was going to do that this was the time and the place to do so really do enjoy that song they didn't play the whole thing they cut the outro short because as i mentioned at the start there was another show to be played and it must have been getting close to that hour the time limit after somebody else which they cut short they played their final song give yourself a try matty said this is the best one everyone go nuts for it again it's one of those songs it's almost like there are more elements where i don't love the band but i kind of appreciate them and what it is they're doing it's almost more like a academic thing than just a heartfelt oh my goodness thing but sometimes i get so in the weeds with the academicness of it that it feels like a heartfelt fanboy oh my goodness i love this thing so they finished with Give Yourself a Try. Matty climbed up on the the staging towards the back and then jumped off and did like a... You know when stunt people jump from a, a height and land and then do a, a, like a, a little roll? He did that on the stage, which is impressive given how much space there was on that stage. Throughout the show, you got the sense Matty was getting drunk. Matty in particular was getting drunker and drunker, but not incoherent, not sloppy. I can only imagine just how much they have rehearsed and got this show and every show so airtight that he could be blindfolded one hand behind his back and still deliver it flawlessly because they've just done it that much it's that ingrained and it shows a certain respect to the fan there's the 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 illustration imitation i don't know what the word is the idea that it's a bit sloppy it's a bit ragged around the edges which makes you feel like it makes it feel more intimate like you're peeking behind the scenes but there's also a military level amount of precision and professionalism in delivering the show. So that was the set list. What have I talked about? I talked about the invite, the journey there, the arrival, the crowd. It was a mixed bag of ages. I got the sense I might have been rubbing shoulders with well-known people, but like you don't personally recognize because they're that type of band. It felt like the type of show that fans really want to be at, but also the type of place where you want to be seen there 
or say that you were there. I'm sure if I was really on the Instagram, I'd see some recognizable names showing clips from in the venue and be like, oh, I was there with this person. How about that? At one point, I did see some, I think when Robbers was playing, I did see someone in the, in the pit FaceTiming a friend and showing the friend that, sh- that song, which, which I thought was sweet. It was a mixed bag, age-wise. People climbed up on any surface they could to get a better view. It seemed like a bit of a party. And, and why not? I think there's a, there's a very specific magic to when an artist you enjoy is about to release something new. It's like Christmas Eve for a very specific set of people. And that that's basically what this was. It was Christmas enjoyed in a group. The, the screaming at the start was pretty deafening. And it's almost as if Matty has a button in his pocket that he knows how and when to press it to just get that response from the crowd. Again, it speaks to their experience and their professionalism that he know there's a knack to it. It's very easy to get an awkward, dull silence in between songs while everyone just watches you tune up. But the band have got it down to a T so that Matty can be the magnet, the eyes, the, the target for all the eyes and attention while the rest of the band gets things set up for whatever the next song is. What else was I going to talk about? So that was the show. You could tell towards the... Like, Matty got talking in between the songs and I don't even know how many hours I spent watching live shows of theirs in between. So you know, nine times out of ten, he's, he's, go, he's always going to say hi with the 1975 from Manchester and he's going to spend most of his time just saying thank you. And every thank you will get that response of a scream. There's a genuine gratitude there because I think he understands and respects that <clears throat> as great as it is to be where he is, he wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the people who have taken it upon themselves to take this band to heart. But you could tell, maybe it was the drinking, maybe it was just the, the all-around enthusiasm, but I wouldn't be surprised if a few songs got cut from the set list in order to make sure they finished on time, because we all had to get out in time for the next crowd to get in so the next show could start on time. And I've seen a bit of the video of the second set, the later show, and I think somewhere near the start, Matty says something like, the show's meant to be an hour it's not going to be an hour. It's going to be more like an hour and a half. So if you have a train to catch, you might need to leave before the show ends because we're going to go on a little bit. And fair play to them. That was the original show. That was the one that, I guess, sold out first. So yeah, let, let them have the long set. There's no grudge held of like, oh, they've got songs we didn't get. In fact, the songs they got that we didn't get included... Let's have a look-see here. I think they got three more songs than our earlier show did. So we both got Looking for Somebody to Love. We both got Two Time. They got Oh Caroline, another live debut from the new album. We both got Chocolate, If You're Too Shy, Part of the Band, It's Not Living, Roadkill. They got A Change of Heart, which I don't think we got. They got... We both got Robbers. We both got Happiness. We both got Paris. We both got I'm In Love With You. We both got Somebody Else. They got the song Sex, which we didn't get. And then we both ended with Give Yourself a Try. Honestly, 10 out of 10. No notes. The good, the bad, it was all part of the package. And I think what makes it a 10, if not like an 11, 12, 50, is that the whole thing was unexpected. I think if I had... It was unexpected in that it was a not last minute, but it was the night before the album, so it was that added excitement. But also unexpected in that I personally didn't think I'd go. And then suddenly I got invited to go. All of that combined, it was an 
incredibly amazing night. Just on the surface, the show itself had a great time. Really, really, really grateful that I could be there. Deeper than that, though, I mentioned earlier, part of my fixation with this group is that element of you can really see their progression. They, Like I said earlier, they've played a thing four times now. Played it on tour in 2013. They played this venue four times now. On tour in 2013. Album release, debut album release show in 2013. Release show for note uh, for a brief inquiry into online relationships. Their third album. And now this album as well. You can see the progression of them as a band, as performers. Because in the first one, there was not much talking. There wasn't much showmanship. It's very much a t-shirt and jeans band. And I think from 2014 onwards, they left that t-shirt and jeans thing behind. There's always some thought put into their presentation. Whether you're a fan of them or not, they have put in the effort to be a little bit unavoidable press-wise. Many, I don't even, I can't imagine how many photos they've taken of them, have been taken of them. Because there's just endless pictures of them as an ensemble and of Matty himself. He's done many an interview. I quite enjoyed the one he did with Zane Lowe where they walked through Manchester. Because when I went to university, I went to many a gig in Manchester and they start that interview in the Deaf Institute, which was a favourite venue of mine. Although I struggle to tell you, I I can think of two bands I saw there. Arvi Buffalo and I've forgotten the name of the second one. Boy, it's a good thing this isn't a professional podcast. Otherwise, I'd be losing some stars in the ratings there. But they put in the effort to put on a, a show beyond just physically standing on a stage and playing new songs. They put in the effort to make it feel like an event when they do something new. I think that's what I enjoyed most. Kind of crossing the threshold from all of the times I've watched videos online and analysed and imagined and connected dots and things like that and now actually being there and seeing it for myself. There's ultimately all of the rehearsing and professionalism can't make up for just a sense of goodwill in that room. It's also worth mentioning the state of live music right now. There's quite a few bands and artists out there who have cancelled shows recently. Whether it's finances didn't work out or the risk of or the event of someone in the team catching COVID or just mental health in general. Times could not be rougher for people wanting to go on tour. And I think that played a part in the positive vibe in the room. People just happy to be able to see a show of a really big band. Not to mention the bands that actually are going on tour. Some of these ticket prices these days are getting ridiculous. The nine, not nine cent, Blink-182 have just announced that they are getting back together with their original singer. And they are selling tickets through Ticketmaster who do this thing. Basically, it's price surging. If there's high demand for tickets... Ticketmaster themselves will put the price way up to match that demand rather than selling the tickets at the original $50, $60, whatever price and then watching them be resold elsewhere for four figures, if not more. Ticketmaster are like, no, why don't we just sell them for four figures since people 
are clearly willing to pay that much. It's choppy waters out there for live music. And I think that might have played a part in the goodwill in the room. I don't know. I I I left. You know how sometimes when there's a thing that everyone loves, you can get this urge to say, well, I didn't like this or that, as if that somehow makes you more, makes you better, more cultured, have better level of taste to say, oh, every, like everyone loves Marvel films, but I don't care for comic book movies, that type of mentality. I had an element of that immediately after leaving the show. So much so that when I got back on the district line for another odyssey back home, it wasn't the 1975 that I wanted to listen to on the journey home. In fact, there's a song by Always who just released a new album called Blue Rev. They've got a song called Tile by Tile, which Spotify do their yearly thing where they give you a bit of a review of what you listened to across the previous year. And if I'm, I'm remembering it correctly, the cutoff point is the end of October. So around New Year's, everyone will get this little slot their own personal slideshow on Spotify of what they listened to, what your top bands were, what your top artists were, your top genres, how many minutes you listened, and so on. And it stops measuring your listening from the end of October. And I think this song by Always, even though it came out a week ago, so I'll only have three weeks to listen to it, I think it might end up among my top five listened to songs for the year because it's that good. I almost listened to it on repeat, that one song, The Entire Journey Home. Again, playing into that idea of like, eh, it was it was an all right show, but this this and this I didn't like, so I'm going to listen to something else. As if my my limp, my threshold for a really good show is higher than everyone else's. I wasn't so easily impressed, but the truth is, I haven't stopped thinking about the show since. It really left a mark on me. I'm really really grateful I saw it. There's also a part of me that almost feels like I don't know if I need to see that band live again. It's a bit like the the Strokes. I've never seen The Strokes live. I went to Reading Festival five years in a row and the year I stopped going is the year they headlined. And honestly, I, a part of me is completely okay with never seeing The Strokes live. If I was to see The Strokes live, I think I would have wanted to see them in 2002, 2003, that early excited stage. Now, it's a different band to the band I originally fell in love with. And it, again, it falls into that realm of more appreciation than really holding it close to my heart which I think opens the door to another conversation about, am I just dead inside? <laughs> and there's nothing that I hold dear anymore. There's nothing that truly gets me really worked up beyond the odd... Pardon me? Beyond the odd song. That was something else I talked to Rob about on the way to the show, about how it's it can feel so much harder now to listen to Spotify, come across a song by a band that you like. Like, I've never heard of this band before, but I like this song. It feels so much harder to actually go and listen to the whole album or to listen to more from that band. It's as if it's satisfying enough to just hear that one song and think, wow, I really like that song. Add it to whatever playlist, move on. Never need to hear another song from that artist again. I think it takes a concerted, deliberate effort to break out of that and to actually say, oh, I like that song. Let me go and listen to what else they've done. and Let me try to listen to it on their terms. Let, let me not listen to something from this band I've just found. And any song I hear that isn't exactly like that one song I liked, at skip, skip, skip. Let me just try and see where they're coming from and meet them where they are. I feel like the 1975 came around at a time just before that 
shortened attention span really sank in, sunk in, sinked in, sunk, sank in, really cemented itself. It's <laughs> an easier way to say it. Because they came just as Spotify was really becoming dominant. And they arrived with EPs and then an album that were really ran the gamut with genres deliberately to almost test your audience and say, okay, yeah, you like us with this type of song, but can you like this type of song and this and this and this? And maybe that plays a part in why they have a fan base that really holds them so close to their heart. Because they dared you to do that from the very start instead of just giving you more of the same or what more of what you expect. They wanted to test you from the start. They dared you to get bored and move on. And if you didn't, congrats, you're in the club. And that Thursday night, I was very much in the club with everyone in that room. <sighs> I'm going to do another episode about the album because I the album came out Friday. I didn't listen to it until Sunday, I think. Maybe there was a part of me still playing up to that idea of, oh, I wasn't that impressed by the show. I'm not that fussed about the album. I'm not like the other, <laughs> I'm not like the other fans. <sighs> but I think there was, alongside that, there was the opposite thought of, I need the perfect circumstance to actually listen to and appreciate the album from start to finish. So I'll talk about that in the next episode. But that was my first time seeing the 1975. I don't know when my next time will be. I don't know if there will be a next time. But uh, if you're still listening, thank you. And I'll catch you in the next episode. Take care.